from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Please join, please join me now in the call to worship. We come as we are, doubting Thomases, fearful disciples, sorrowing exiles, rejoicing psalmists. You come as you are, risen Christ, Christ of peace, Holy Spirit, Spirit of forgiveness, God of life, God of new birth. Show us the fullness of your joy. Let us worship God. In our busy lives, we rarely take time to stop and to consider all that we have, to realize that it is enough. Mindful of all that God has given us, let us now confess together. O oh God, we confess that we live in a world where too often things have proven to be true. When our faith stands at the grave, Grieving for a stone that's rolled away, forgive us. When our faith is short of understanding, though the truth is there to see, forgive us. When our faith is beset by doubt, sees no further than an empty tomb, forgive us. Bring to mind the cry of Mary, I have seen the Lord, and grant us faith to believe. Amen. And now let us silently lift up our doubts and fears and our confessions to God. Seen or unseen, God is present in our midst. Happy are those who have not seen, yet have come to believe. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven.
please turn with me in your pew Bibles to John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31, which can be found on page 108 in the New Testament. Listen for and hear the word of the Lord. It was still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors, because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hand and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the 12, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. After eight days, his disciples were again in a house and Jesus was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief, believe. Thomas responded to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Jesus replied, do you believe because you have seen me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. Then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence, signs that aren't recorded in this scroll. But these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing you will have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. According to psychologist Eric Erickson's Psychosocial Stages of Development, we learn the principles of basic trust versus mistrust starting in infancy. As infants, we learn to trust certain aspects of the world around us and we learn to have certain fears. These fears then turn into doubts. It is human to doubt and there is a saying that it is difficult to have faith without doubts. However, in this passage, Jesus calls us to take that leap of faith and to trust God unquestionably. Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed, he says. In the midst of world terror, all types of hardships and personal struggles, we all have doubts. Besides church and school, service and sports are the other main pillars of my life. A new program was started at my school in which a group of students goes to an after-school care center in Peoplestown, Atlanta by Turner Field. As I finished my swim season, I was excited to serve God and others by giving back in this way. I really did not know much about the program and didn't even know what other, school, what other students from my school participated in it. So when I walked into the gym to meet the group on that first afternoon, I had some doubts. Everyone else showed up 15 minutes later than we were supposed to be there, so to be honest, I almost just went home and left. On the bus ride there, God surrounded me with a good group of students who were also passionate about service. As I built relationships with the students that I tutored, I could see God's work in all of them. Many of them genuinely liked learning but had never been encouraged to try in school. 
Some days I had many doubts about whether or not I was actually helping them as they usually put up big fights or even hid in bathroom stalls to get out of doing their homework. One day I learned that they too had doubts about the program. I, I had never thought that these people had any reason to have doubts, but they had a daily fear that we would not come back to tutor them. Coming from all types of situations, many of these children had been abandoned by friends and family before, and they did not trust that we would keep coming back for tutoring. Just as God will always be there for us, we tried to keep showing up to tutor these youth, and in doing so, we began to build their trust. In sports, doubts can be found everywhere. As a middle schooler, I doubted that I would even make the soccer team. I remember thinking about not trying out due to fears that I would just embarrass myself and not be good enough for the team. Looking back on this, I should have had more faith as I made the team and even got to play in every game. Just this year, I returned to playing water polo after taking a two-year break from it. My skills were rusty, and when I had previously been on the team, I usually just sat on the bench and got water for people who actually played. The people on the team were different than when I had played before, so I had many doubts that I would ever even get to play in a game. I ended up as the starting right-wing defense in every game that season. I not only had to learn to not doubt myself, I also had to learn to trust my teammates. Just as putting complete trust in God is difficult, trusting others can be hard as well. I had to trust that if I swam up for a drive to the goal, that someone would be there to cover my spot. Like Thomas had to see the holes in Jesus' hand and side, it would have been easier for me if I could have seen that someone had covered me. I had to trust that my teammates were there, even though I could not see them in that moment, and I had to trust that they would not throw the ball to me if I was in a vulnerable position. Part of this trust in others, I learned, is communication. Communication with God is also key in order for us to trust him. Yet communication does not only come in the form of talking to God in our prayers. Just like communication in water polo includes lots of eye contact and nonverbal communication, communication with God is, a li is living a life that God would want us to lead. God commands us to love our neighbors so we can follow him and communicate our faith in him in many ways. We can show up at church, serve in the food pantry, go on mission trips, stop and talk to a friend in need, or just smile at strangers. Talking to God and staying connected with him builds our faith in him. The more we get to know God and become comfortable with him, the more our doubts can subside. In closing, I encourage everyone to take that leap of faith as Jesus asked Thomas to do so long ago and to trust God completely. Amen. In my time in high school, I've made many trips to Six Flags with friends, but every time I always managed to avoid one ride, acrophobia. For those of you who don't know, acrophobia is a ride that takes you straight up 200 feet. They sing you a creepy song at the top and then drop you when you least expect it. Every time it drops, I have a doubt that the mechanics in the bottom few feet will make the seat stop and everyone will just barrel straight through the ground. When the mechanics kick in, there's a gust of wind from the falling seats, and you know everyone is safe. The more I think about my life, the more I realize that it is just as terrifying as a ride like acrophobia. 
What makes it so scary is uh, the fact that you can't see what's coming next. Every time you think you have a plan figured out, it ends up being something you don't really want to do, and you have to start over. When I first entered high school, I had my heart set on going to the United States Naval Academy. Shortly after, I decided I would rather follow in my parents' footsteps and go to the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, all the time wanting to swim wherever I go. It wasn't until second semester junior year that my plan shifted again to Bucknell University. I had visited and had an incredible talk with the coach and was super excited about the school. Thus my plan was chosen and it wouldn't change again until December of this past year when I decided that swimming wasn't for me anymore and I wouldn't want to do that in college. In March, however, my plan changed once again when the coach from Providence College called and asked me to come for a visit. Three weeks ago, I decided that Providence College was where I wanted to be and I decided to swim. Looking back on it now, I can see that God had a different plan from the one that I had. He never doubted what I was meant to do. No, that's not supposed to show how stressful the college process may be, but it does show how we never really know what's coming next. Like on acrophobia, as in life, you always make it to the top where you can stop and enjoy the view and breathe, and then suddenly there's a drop and you just have to pray something will catch you on the way down. I live my life knowing that I'm going to fall down over and over again, and my plans are going to change, but there will always be God to catch me at the bottom with a huge gust of wind. In the scripture, Thomas is the reminder that we are all doubters and at one moment or another. But no height, no depth, no fear, no doubt, and not even acrophobia can separate us from the love of God. Thomas teaches us faith and trust that God loves us no matter what. And even, if, even though we don't deserve it, God has given us grace on no conditions. So I guess what I'm trying to say is it's okay to doubt. Sometimes it may even be good. But never doubt your faith in God, because it is the one thing that will always be there for you, no matter where you go. Amen. I take a class at school called Theory of Knowledge. Basically, the whole class is devoted to asking questions we can't answer. That, along with the fact I have to wake up before 7 a.m., is why it's one of my least favorite classes. I personally like knowing the answer. I like definitive things. Facts, evidence, proof. But the premise of the class is how we can approach these questions and through what lens we can evaluate life and humanity. Why we say the things we say or do the things we do. These lenses are called the ways of knowing. The precise definition is the methods in which knowledge becomes apparent to us. There are eight. Language, sense perception, emotion, reason, imagination, intuition, memory, and faith. Today, I'll be focusing on just two of these, which I'm sure you can guess, reason and faith. In the Bible verse, the disciples go to Thomas exclaiming the good news of Jesus' resurrection. If they had theory of knowledge in biblical times and Thomas was in the class, his fellow disciples would be asking him to use faith in his way of knowing to assess the new knowledge he just learned. Instead, Thomas sticks with reason. He must see Jesus' hands, see the nail marks, fear, feel where the nails were, and feel Jesus' side. Thomas' thinking is, if I can see the nail marks and see a living, breathing Jesus, then it must be true. He was really crucified, and now he's really resurrected. 
Once Thomas does see Jesus and feel his hands, Jesus asks him to stop doubting and start believing, essentially asking him to not use reason as his way of knowing, but to use faith. Jesus even goes one step further and blesses all those who believed without seeing, those who used faith. To me, this means reason equals doubt. So what's the difference between a child and an adult? Well, a lot of things, but I'm specifically thinking about their personal ways of knowing. A child's whole system of knowledge is based on faith, while an adult's is mostly based on reason. Adults have been through school. We've taken standardized tests, gotten degrees. We've been trained to use reason as our way of knowing, to logic our way into something or to explain something. To an adult, that wasn't an alien spaceship, but just a silver balloon that got loose. Children believe in whatever they want to. They think that the balloon was a spaceship. <laughs> they believe that they can do anything they want, become a doctor, walk on Mars, be a lion tamer. It's refreshing and inspiring. There's no reasoning when a child sees a castle and a fort of pillows. They don't doubt. They have belief and faith. So what can we do to be more like children? to throw out reason and just use faith? That doesn't seem realistic or very fair. Reason is a part of life, and so is doubt. It's human nature. Part of my class is determining which way of knowing is the most important, but this is another unanswerable question. They're both important. We must find a balance between the two, not letting faith create bias in our judgments and not letting reason create doubt in our faith. Amen. Okay, so I have a question. Uh, raise your hand if you know who John Muir is or even just like recognize the name. Okay, awesome, all right, great. Well, I'm in an English, I'm, I'm from an English class. I'm reading a book titled A Passion for Nature, The Life of John Muir. And for those of you who don't know anything about Muir, he's the founder of our national parks and helped found the Department of Interior. I am reading excerpts of his first glimpses of the breathtaking national parks that I am sure some of y'all have been to as well. And each time he sees these wonders, he brings it back to God's great creation and how nothing else could form these beauties, as he states, no synonym for God is so perfect as beauty. Whether it's seen carving the lines of mountains with glaciers or gathering matter into stars or planting the movements of water or gardening, still all is beauty. I feel closest to God when I'm outside because you will look at the northern lights, the Grand Canyon, or even, to the, even climbing to the top of Stone Mountain when every fiber of your being is telling you to turn back. Then you get to the top and see Atlanta's skyline and you feel alive inside and you're looking at this gorgeous setting and you get this feeling in your soul that there is something divine that created these masterpieces. High school is a busy time with sports, concerts, parties, dances, homework, clubs, colleges, and so much more that I often forgot to make time for God, and my religion fell to the side as a to-do task for tomorrow that never actually got done. I stopped coming to churches regularly because of this busy schedule, and I began to doubt God and my faith. I stayed within a bubble of my house, school, and the occasional friend's house, not allowing for much room for growth. I couldn't see God because I wasn't challenging myself to look beyond my five-mile radius. I did not come to church and hear God through scripture or see him in the people here. Your faith will be challenged in high school, and maybe it already has, because I started to doubt God when something bad would happen in my life, like most people. I wonder why someone so young has to die for reasons she can't help, 
or why parents from all levels of your school are emailing and coming up to one of your closest friends and telling them that they are a terrorist when all they are is another religion. Even though you'll have doubts, it's part of your growing faith, because that means that you're asking questions and wanting to learn more, which there is nothing wrong with, and I think is a healthy part of our relationship with God. I always start with seeking my answers outside to put this world around us into perspective. Maybe this is not the way that you look at God, but if you have ever experienced this, I urge you to hike, walk, run, or sit in a chair looking over a landscape, not let any external influences make your decision, and let your skin soak up the sun, hear birds chirping, or listen to rain fall on leaves, because at least for me, there is no doubt in my mind that God is with me. Amen. I've been coming to First Presbyterian regularly for 18 years now. Not that I really had a choice in the matter. Pretty much every day that I'm here, it's because my parents brought me. As a young kid, I never really had a problem with that. I would come to church, sit through the service, maybe draw on my bulletin, and then head off to Sunday school to be with my friends, because that's just the way Sundays always went. As I became older, however, I started to question the merits of being at church every Sunday. If I, had, if I didn't have to get up early, I could actually sleep in on Sundays, like a lot of my friends do. Of course, you have to be getting pretty much nothing from going to church if you're inclined to want another hour of sleep instead. And in truth, throughout middle school and high school, I have questioned whether church was for me. At church, I would hear stories about Jesus' resurrection, or Mary giving birth as a virgin, or any of the miracles that Jesus performed and I couldn't help but think to myself, there's no way that actually happened. That's just not physically possible. And when those thoughts popped into my head, I asked myself, if I don't believe that happened, then what am I doing here at church? The scripture today is a passage I'm sure most people here are familiar with, the story of the disciple Thomas, better known as Doubting Thomas. The Gospel of Luke tells us that Thomas was the unfortunate soul who was not present in the room when Jesus appeared to the other 11 disciples after his resurrection. And so he alone had the job of believing that Jesus could have possibly been raised from the dead without first seeing him. Now, I don't know about any of you, but if I were put in Thomas's position, I personally am pretty confident that I would have doubted my 11 friends every single time. Unfortunately for Thomas, he got stuck with his pejorative nickname, and now that's all anyone remembers him for. However, it doesn't take too much work to flip to another account of the resurrection to see that Thomas wasn't the only one who doubted. In Mark chapter 16, we get a different version of the story. From verse 9, it says, Now, when he rose, early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. Clearly, Thomas was not the only disciple who needed physical evidence to believe. In fact, every single one of them did. At some point, my view on church shifted. I realized that there is more than one reason to come. Sure, I may not have believed in every miraculous thing in the Bible, and I may not have wanted to. But when I consider what the point is to being a Christian, to reading the Bible, to coming to church every week, for me, right now, and maybe for other people out there as well, 
It's not about trying to improve my faith to the point where I believe everything the Bible says. For me, being a Christian is all about the lessons and the messages I take from it. Jesus had two foundational commandments for his teaching, which are the basis of Christianity. One, to love your God with all your heart and all your soul, and two, to love your neighbor as yourself. I realize that I don't have to have full faith in everything the Bible says in order to believe that what Jesus said and preached is good and right and important. After Jesus was resurrected and returned to his disciples, he gave them a commandment. Even though they needed to have physical proof to believe, and even though their faith wasn't as deep as Jesus would have liked, he told them to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. If this doesn't demonstrate that one can both receive something from Christianity and give something back without having an unshakable faith, then I don't know what does. Even though I still hear stories from the Bible and think, that's just not physically possible, I know that my doubt doesn't prevent me from hearing, acting on, and being fulfilled by the Christian message. Amen. Elevate, in a brief way, something that God's doing in someone's life. And there's a great connection here uh, with our Mount Kenya Academy students. Ellie Foz, I know is Ellie's right here. Just raise your hand, Ellie. Ellie came to First Presbyterian Church with her family because you were hosting, I think, Mount Kenya Academy student while she was at the Westminster schools. And she uh, came to serve at the breakfast for the first time and has never left. Her family joined the church. Uh, she herself became a member of this church, confirmed, right? Just like on Confirmation Sunday. Uh, today is the last day Ellie will be here in the U.S. as she goes to Madagascar? Mozambique, sorry. Mozambique for two years in the Peace Corps. She's learned Swahili, actually, and was talking with some of our Mount Kenya students. She studied at Mount Kenya with the exchange. And to just think about the full circle of faith that happens... Uh, through a confirmation process where we see then seniors who've gone through that same process offer their reflections on the Word of God and we see it then sent out in mission as Ellie is sent, as Jesus said to be sent, as the Father has sent me so I send you and she now is being sent to Mozambique and you go with our prayers and our thanksgiving for your yes to God in this time. Uh, friends, Know that God has called us each to particular tasks and purposes, bearing witness to the faith of Jesus Christ. And know that we all go out, outside into this world, with faith and with doubt, but trusting that God is with us every step of the way. And now may the peace of God, which goes beyond all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. May his peace live inside of you this day and every day of your life.